uh, on our Sunday nights. Is it, is it rare almost that I'm up here on Sunday nights? I don't hope it's not rare anymore, but it seems like uh, even opportunities to the young men to preach, and it's always a blessing. But uh, we have been uh, going through, when I'm up here anyway, uh, metaphorical impact makers, or metaphorical, uh, metaphorically speaking, in the Bible, when we see uh, different metaphors the Bible gives us uh, to uh, be an impact to those around us. And our, in our text tonight, uh, we're going to see where it compares the church to a bride, a, sim, a symbol of pure love. Uh, he desires that we as Christians come to him in the same way that a bride comes to her groom, holy and without blemish. It, our proper response to our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, is to love him in return for his action on Calvary. We just uh, took communion for that very purpose. He, he, what he did for us on Calvary, uh, we want to show our gratefulness to him and our love for him. Let's start reading at verse number 25 of Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But I stop right there just for a second. What a profound statement that is. Have you ever noticed that uh, difference between men and women? Women always find flaws and blemishes. It's funny because... Uh, we have all the confidence of the world based on nothing. Amen? We got nothing to offer. And men, you know, we, we can be, uh, not, not we as in me, of course, but we can be bald, paunch, and we can look at a mirror, flex, and think we still got it. And a woman can be near perfection and, oh, finding this and that. But a man, I think it's interesting, the Bible says a man doesn't hate his own body. A man loves this, loves himself. So it says there, no man ever yet hated his own flesh. A man thinks he's got it, no matter what condition he's in. He nourishes it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so he likens the relationship of the church to him, and, uh, and uses a bride as an example. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight as we look at this metaphor. Uh, help us, Lord, to learn something from it that uh, would even encourage us to live better for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. A bride is a beautiful symbol of pure love. A bride glories in giving her love to her groom and having that love return. Uh, our text, as I said, compares the church to a bride. God the person of love and our groom has expressed his love for us in many ways, of course. The most important is providing a sacrificial sacrifice for us for our salvation. Now, it goes so far beyond that, but that would be, of course, what we just commemorated by what we did in communion. Our proper response to God's love is to love Him in return. 1 John 4, 19, the Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. True love is much more than just an emotion. Love is a verb. It is not something you fall into like a puddle. It is a decision you make, and it is uh, something that signifies action. God's love for His people is evident, 
And we see His action of love in Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth His love. That, in other words, commendeth would be proved. He had an action behind it. He commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we did not deserve it, when we did not uh, even desire it, He gave Himself for us. Now, there's certain characteristics come to the forefront as we look at the metaphor of a bride. First of all, I'd like to look at preparation. A wedding is a glorious time. Now, I used to say that with more feeling, but then I started to marry off daughters, and it became less of a glorious time. I found out it takes an incredible amount of preparation uh, for that day. Uh, did I say preparation or money? Um, yeah, preparation is what I said. Uh, money is also a part of it. I learned with weddings that money is no issue. I know this because I was told this. Money is no issue when it comes to the wedding. There's so many details to take care of in a wedding. Decorations, lodging arrangements, invitations, food, the dress, all those things. With the countless details involved in a wedding, preparation is very important. And, of course, we do make a big deal about it. A bride wants that special day to be perfect. The groom could not care less because he's just, he want, he'll show up and uh, get the job done and leave, and that's all he really cares about. The bride's very important to her, and so the Bible speaks about the preparation of the bride of Christ. If we love the Lord Jesus, we will want to be uh, properly prepared when we see him. The preparation does not take place by accident. Uh, it is... Uh, it, <laughs> Just like preparing for a wedding. It's not going to take care of itself. The details don't just happen. It takes an incredible amount of work uh, to be prepared. And it is not a hurried matter. Our preparation as Christ's bride begins at our salvation, and then it continues uh, with, the, uh, with the forgiveness of sins and as we grow in our life. It continues with our surrender to His will. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then it goes on, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We prepare for our heavenly bridegroom by daily surrendering to the working of God in our lives. It is our reasonable service to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. With no real will of our own, we are surrendered to Him. We often, in Bible college, I remember, we'd have the discussions, would we, uh, whatever happened, you know, and, and every generation thinks this could happen. I still think it could happen in our generation that we might have persecution. And, and uh, we were discussing this on numerous occasions. Would we, would we give our life? Would we go to prison? Would we endure torture? You know, I met... Uh, in person, Harlan, Harlan Popov. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. He wrote a book. He was in a Russian prison for 20 years for preaching the gospel. Uh, to, uh, un, untold tortures the man went through every day thinking he was going to be killed. And I actually got to meet him when I was uh, uh, just uh, 12 or 13. He came to our church. And uh, would we do that? But God's not asking for that. Hopefully it won't come to that. And if it would, hopefully we'll be faithful. But he's not asking for us to be a a sacrifice to death, he's asking for us to be a living sacrifice, not conforming to the standards of the world, rather allowing the Word of God to transform us to what we're supposed to be. So we see preparation. We see preparation of the heart. 
The bride prepares herself for her bridegroom. Uh, she looks forward to the wedding for many months ahead of time. You will see her doodles all over her notebooks and different things, Mrs. Such and Such, uh, whatever the new name will be. Boy, that burned me up. Uh, put all that work into having eight kids and then six of them just go and drop my name like a hot potato, you know. But uh, picking up the new name and adding it to theirs, she dreams about how wonderful the marriage will be. She prepares her heart. And that should be our attitude. We should prepare our hearts with the same passion. First Samuel 7, 3, Samuel asked God's people, prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only. We should not come to God flippantly. We should take uh, coming into His presence seriously and reverently. I think it's interesting. We didn't really go into it tonight, but in 1 Corinthians 11, it breaks down what uh, happens we take the Lord's Supper unworthily. It's not a, a thing we want to uh, take lightly in our life. Uh, when Moses saw the burning bush, he went to investigate. He found himself... Uh, in the presence of God. Exodus chapter 3 verse 6 says that Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look upon God. Moses realized the gravity of the presence of God. We need to realize who he is. And the best way we can realize who he is is to realize who we are. Uh, I, uh, several examples. Exodus 3.11. Moses says this, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. David said in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And Solomon said in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? That's a different attitude than a lot of people have today. Lord, here I am. You're welcome. That's the kind of attitude a lot of people have coming to serve. And here's these great men of God. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for this. And God help me that I would never lose that attitude. I want to have that attitude because I have, I know, I know that I am not worthy for what I am doing. And I know that uh, like these men here and, and, and most of us should be, we're not worthy for it. Many days I still, uh, after nine years, pull up to the church and just pause and take a moment and realize my, but God's been good, blessing me with a ministry here. I'm not worthy of this, and, and uh, we should have that attitude, and I don't ever want to lose it. So let's answer the question, who am I? Well, the Bible says we're a unique creation of God. Psalm 139, 14, I will praise the Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. We're also a sinner by nature and by choice. Romans 5, 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and so death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Uh, we're also, thank God, very valuable to God. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 24, You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. As my children were little, once in a while we would sell things on Craigslist. Now it's Facebook Marketplace and uh, different ways you can sell stuff. And uh, my, uh, when they were little, they would attach prices to things that were way unreasonable. You know, let's sell that for $1,000. And I'd explain to our children, the value of a product is not necessarily the price you slap on it, but what somebody will pay for it. Right? I can say, you know, uh, whatever I want to sell. Um, I don't know what I have in my pocket here. I have a mint. I'll sell that. Jeffrey, 10 bucks. You want to buy it? That's 10 bucks. I can put a price on it. Or uh, I, I can slap even more of it on there. But that's really only worth what somebody's going to pay for it. 
You know what God paid for you? That makes you valuable. Amen? We are valuable. Don't ever look at yourself as anything less than a precious child of God who is valuable enough for Him to give His very life for. You are something. You are somebody to Him. And then you're somebody that God wants to use. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Preparation of the heart of a believer uh, begins with the realization of who God is and who I am. Deuteronomy 4.29 But if then, if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him. If thou seek Him with all thy heart, with all thy soul. The bride prepares her heart for her bridegroom. She spends much time thinking about Him and longing for Him. We likewise need to prepare our hearts for our bridegroom. We need to be thinking about Him and longing for the day when we'll be with Him. And so there's preparation of heart. There's also preparation of self. The bride takes much care preparing herself for the wedding. Months ahead of the special day, she selects the perfect wedding dress. She picks out just the right veil, the right bouquet, the right jewelry. Her hair has to be just right. Her hair has to be just right. And a $100 hairdo is not sufficient, nor is a $200 or a $300 hairdo is not sufficient. It has to be just right. My soul, I've never been able to figure out what the... What, what the pricing comes from. And then we've got to do like six people's hair and, and, and all that. But all this has to be just right. And if something goes wrong, you know what can come out of that? Bridezilla. They made a whole TV show about that, you know. And uh, so we all have to be uh, on our best behavior there. By the way, I'm not bitter. You know, I hate when I start that way. Everybody knows that, okay, the wedding day is all about the bride. You ever notice that? The wedding dress, thousands of dollars. After the wedding, she'll press it, fold it, put it away somewhere, and it's kept forever, sometimes pulled out and admired. For all time, it's treasured. The groom's outfit's rented. It's got to be back by Monday so some other schmuck can get married in it next Friday. And don't worry about it, that ten other men have gotten married in this thing. We cleaned it for you because you're special. You know, we clean out all the, all the, all the stains. And when the woman comes, I, they come at the wedding, the, the woman comes up, and this is all fine and good when I'm giving away a daughter, because I happen to agree. The woman comes up, and she's a precious treasure. Who gives this beautiful treasure to this, what did they say? To this man. Remember? In the wedding thing. Who gives this woman to be married to this guy? And uh, it's like the woman is a precious asset, and he's just a side note. The bride's family is consulted. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Uh, the groom's family is just assumed that they're grateful anybody will have him. So they don't even ask anything about the fact of who gives the man away. And it's, it's even more. For the, for the ring, a woman's best friend is a diamond. A man's best friend is a dog. Have you ever thought about that? It's just unfair. A woman's best friend is the rarest thing, one of the rarest things on earth. We neuter the man's best friend so they won't, won't have more of them. But like I said, I'm not bitter. As the bride of Christ, we need to prepare ourselves. And that's what a bride does. She prepares herself. Our lives ought to be pleasing to Him. Uh, we need to make sure that we're living according to His will. 
We don't want to be ashamed when we see him. We want to prepare ourselves. First John 2.28, And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. Luke 12.40, Be therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when you think not. What I'm saying is be prepared. We need to be prepared. We don't know when, they're co- when he's coming back. And so there's only one way, one way we'll be joyful when he returns. And that is if we're living in such a way as not to be ashamed. Revelation 19.7, Let us be glad and rejoice and honor uh, and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Are you ready? There's preparation. There's also purity. The symbolism of the white wedding dress is important, the purity that the bride has set aside for her husband. The Lord desires and expects a purity from his bride as well. It's very important to the Lord that his people be clean and pure. Throughout the Old Testament, this truth is repeated over and over. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem in Nehemiah 12.30, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. In Psalm 51, uh, when David repented of his sin, he begged God for cleansing and purity. He says in verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. In verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. There should be outward purity. Wedding guests usually stand as the bride enters the room. Again, not for the groom, but that's another side point. Uh, This is an honor to her as she makes her way to the altar and to her waiting groom. All admire her beauty, her grace, her spotless white wedding dress. And what would you think if you were at a wedding like this and you know the music starts and you recognize it and everybody stands? What would you think? If she came down the aisle wearing old sweatpants and a messy old t-shirt, hair all messed up, popping bubble gum, we would say that is not appropriate for the occasion, wouldn't we? Our outward appearance, our dress, our speech, our actions need to be pure and honoring to the Lord, need to be appropriate for the occasion. Mark chapter 1 verse 40 gives an account of a leper who came to Jesus in desperation. The Bible says, and a leper came unto him, beseeching him, kneeling down and saying to him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. This man was pleading to be made clean and pure and without hesitation, Jesus honored his request. Do we desire purity as much as that leper did? We ought to. Leprosy is a bacterial infection. It can destroy our nerves, our tissues. It can cause deformities. In fact, the disease is still alive in the modern world today. In 2003, I know it's a few years ago, but the Encyclopedia Britannica, remember that? When we had encyclopedias in books? (laughs) Weird. Uh, We used to have a big old row of them. Uh, They reported 2 million cases of leprosy in the world. Listen to these verses to see the lifestyle that a leper was forced to lead. In Leviticus 13, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare, he shall put on a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, Unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean, he shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. So in addition to the physical suffering, he had to deal with this life uh, living uh, as an outcast. No wonder the leper came to Jesus and begged to be made clean. 
Leprosy is a picture of sin. Sin always manifests itself outwardly, eventually. As Christians, we need to take care uh, how we honor God with our outward appearance. It does matter how we dress. It does matter how we talk. It does matter how we act. Matthew Henry said, He that is not shy of the appearance of sin, who avoids not the temptations to sin, will not long abstain from the commission of sin. And so we ought to stay as far away from it. We ought to be concerned about our outward purity and the way that we live our life. It's important for the bride. It's important for the Christian. And then inward. Outward purity can be faked for a time. It's possible to look right and act right for a while without being right inside. All outward appearance is supposed to be, uh, are, 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 should be anyway, clean and pure, but uh, we must not be satisfied with only looking right. Oh, this is such a problem in so many, especially independent Baptist churches in, in, in times past where I was raised. I had, uh, it, it was all about looking right. It's so much more important for us to, looking right is no substitution for being right. Amen? And that's really what is most important. Judas Iscariot was one of the disciples who looked right. He did. In fact, he looked so right. The Bible says he went out and preached and he ministered to others. He saw the miracles of Jesus and he heard his preaching and his teaching. And he looked so right, they made him the treasurer of the group. And everybody knows only the smartest and most brilliant are made treasurers. Right, Brother Rich? And uh, so uh, that was Judas. But the sinfulness of his heart eventually came out. He betrayed the Lord. He died a miserable, messy death by his own hand. In James 4, 8, the Bible says, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. and Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Not only cleanse your hands, look on the outside, but purify your hearts. Be clean on the inside as well. See, they're both important. Some people put all the emphasis on one. Other people put all the emphasis on the other. They're both important, and they both uh, need to be balanced in our life. That which is in the heart will come out in the life. What's in the well will come up in the bucket. Right. Uh, sincere outward purity is a result of genu genuine inward purity. We ought to be uh, concerned about that. And then finally, patience. Patience is an essential virtue for a bride as the engagement continues. Now, uh, this is another subject, but I am for very short engagements. Whenever I had those uh, lose, I'm sorry, my son-in-laws would ask for the hands of my daughters, um, I would make sure that it's going to be a, a, a short engagement because you have a long engagement, things can happen that shouldn't. But even if it's only a month or a few months, it seems like forever to a waiting bride. Part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 is long-suffering, long-suffering. I think someone in this church prayed for long-suffering this year because it now takes me like 20 minutes to get to Walmart from this place right here. It used to take me five minutes. It now takes me like 20 minutes. So I don't know which one of you prayed for long-suffering, but it's working on all of us now. This word means patience, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance. We need to be patiently depending uh, on the Lord. Romans 2, 6, and 7, Who will render to every man according to his deeds to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality of eternal life? Galatians 6, 9, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Uh, two, 2 Corinthians three thirteen. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Patience. Patience. 
The bride is to be patient as she looks forward to the wedding, and we as believers ought to be patient as we live for the Lord and wait for His coming. But, oh, patience is not one of my virtues. I don't like waiting. Patience is not something I enjoy. But we ought, we have to be. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Patience, uh, number one, in waiting for Christ. Second Thessalonians 3, 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. We wait in patient expectation of Christ's second coming. We, we must also wait patiently for the Lord to do His work in our life. Especially in situations where we're tempted to think He's taking too long. You ever been in a hurry and God is not? It's a tough thing for us sometimes. Uh, the Lord does not have to do His work on our timetable. He does not have to do the things His work in ways that we ought to think it ought to be done. When we wait on Him, we learn that His way is better than ours. When uh, we waiting on the Lord in our lives, it's a difficult thing to do, and it's an easy thing to take matters into our own hands, isn't it? Inaction. Inaction in times of stress or in times of waiting is uh, is very difficult for the Christian to just wait on God. Uh, we're often tempted to say, let's do something, even if it's wrong. Talking about traffic. Um, I'm, when we get caught, when I get caught on traffic uh, going down a highway, I don't know if anybody else is guilty of this, but if that lane's moving, I'm in it, like immediately. Uh, I, I jump over on that move. And invariably, this lane starts moving. And then I'm in that one. And I just... I'll kiss, and, and what's, what's irritating is cars way behind me will soon be in front of me. But the inaction just kills me. I just want to get moving somewhere. And, uh, this, this is something that we have to realize in our nature goes against God, and we have to work on that. Jesus in Gethsemane told his disciples, Matthew 26, 38, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here. And watch with me. As Christ told his disciples to tarry and wait, sometimes we need to do the same thing. Be patient and wait. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And then we need to have patience, not only in waiting for Christ, but toward all men. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Now we exhort your brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Patience with people is not something that comes easily. We hate waiting. We hate the checkout line. We hate congested traffic. We hate when there's a wait at the restaurant. And what is with? Doesn't matter how bad the economy is. You still wait an hour for a table at a restaurant. Sometimes I'm thinking, well, the economy is taking a downturn. I won't have to wait so long at Texas Roadhouse. That doesn't change a thing. There's a wait. And so we need to, even though we don't like it, it's a part of our life. Schedules are a good thing, but we need to be realize that our time is not more important than someone else's many times. James 4.14, whereas you know not what should be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. Ministering to other people is one reason that God has placed us in this world instead of taking us home. Why is it that when we come forward, maybe at an altar, uh, for me it was in my grandparents' bedroom talking to my pastor, why is it that when we accept Christ as our Savior, He doesn't just take us home to heaven right then. Well, He's got something for us to do. We're to serve Him now. We're to help others. And there's times when we're so busy that we run right by the people that need our minister ministering to them. We rejoice that God's patient with us, don't we? I'm glad He's patient with me. 
Why can't we be patient with others? Why is it so hard to be patient with other people? We have a hard time being patient uh, when people mistreat us. But remember the words of Christ when he said in Matthew 5, 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We have a hard time being patient when we're misunderstood. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.19, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. What glory is it when you're buffeted for your own faults? I do a lot of counseling where people are buffeted for their own faults. And I've got this problem, that problem, and you know, you want to sometimes. You've got to be nice and kind, but you want to. Yeah, because you're a bonehead back here, and you did this, and so now this is happening. He says, what glory is it when you're buffeted for your own faults? You shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, this is acceptable with God. We have a hard time being patient, being willing to stop and listen to others. Wherefore, my beloved brother in James 1.19, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Well, we don't like, we, you heard it a million times. You got one mouth and two ears. You ought to do twice as much listening as you ought to uh, speaking. Amen. Uh, it's so hard to be a listener. And isn't it the most wonderful thing in the world when you meet somebody else who's a good listener? Oh, changes your life. It's hard for us to be a listener, yet what an impact we can make in someone's life if we can be a listening ear and a caring heart. Uh, we ought to be patient. It is hard sometimes to have that patience, but what an impact it makes when we have it. Patience in tribulation. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, uh, continuing instant in prayer. To be patient in tribulation is, this is un, when you're under misfortunes and trials and talking about holding fast to your faith during those times. Patience in tribulation requires a dependence on God. Remember that God is in control all the way through. Oh, even when it seems like he's not, he's in control. What a privilege to be the bride of Christ. What a, with such a privilege, we should prepare diligently for his return. Ask him, even tonight, to search your heart for any impurity that is dishonoring to him. Wait patiently for him to unfold his plan in your life, even through unpleasant situations. Most of all, look forward to his return. It's a many ways, uh, it's a great metaphor when we look at a bride. There's so many it's a wonderful thing the Bible uses because there's so many comparisons that we can use uh, as a bride prepares herself for her groom. We are the bride of Christ, and we need to prepare ourselves for our groom as well. I hope that's a help to you. Let's have a word of prayer in closing. Father, thank you for the opportunity tonight to be together. Help us, Lord, to apply these principles to our life. Help us, Lord, to live uh, every day looking for your return. Help us to live as to be ready for it. We'll give you the glory for what you do, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.